The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. in New York, 9 a.m. in Scotland, and here is your top five at five. World leaders descending upon Glasgow for the big U.N. climate summit, trying desperately to hammer out hard-hitting new emissions rules. It may be more of a story. Who's not there? Meantime, on Wall Street, stocks doing something for the first time in nearly a year as we await the Fed's latest taper talk this week. In D.C., the House finally looking to vote on the president's twin spending bills after weeks of negotiations. First it was Southwest, now another airline facing a weekend of delays and cancellations. We'll tell you who and why. Breaking news, the head of Barclays Bank forced out due to ties Jeffrey Epstein. It is Monday, November 1st, and this is Worldwide Exchange. Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, and welcome from wherever in the world that you may be watching. I am Brian Sullivan. Thanks for joining us. Welcome to Monday. Welcome, by the way, to November We'll get you more on that developing Barclays story in moments. It is a big one, but right now, let's get to your Monday money and kicking off the month like October left off with stocks running higher. Futures higher across the board. We are seeing Dow futures up 145 points. All three major averages coming off record-breaking sessions with the S&P and the NASDAQ coming off their best monthly gains since November of last year. If you are counting at home, well, and even if you're not, we're going to tell you, here's your all-time high tally. Record closes this year, the NASDAQ 38, the Dow 39, and the S&P 500 says anything you can do, I can do better. 59 record high closes this year. Wow. Well, despite some very rough sessions for Apple and Amazon lately, much of big tech is also coming off a record close on Friday. Certainly important stocks to watch. Now, outside of that, we are also watching right there, the crypto markets. You can see Bitcoin and Ethereum. They're both higher right now. And now let's move on to oil and gas as well. One of the hottest markets lately, natural gas coming off its worst month since December of last year, down more than 7% and snapping a six-month win streak, still well elevated above where it was. It is down a touch right now. Actually, it's up a touch. And oil coming off its best month since February with a more than 11% gain. Again, we are watching the Thursday OPEC Plus meeting. Will they add more barrels to the market? The U.S.? Japan, India, all basically begging OPEC to add more barrels to the market, but they're concerned about new COVID lockdowns in the winter. We are seeing the price of crude oil actually tick up a notch to 83 and a half bucks. By the way, many of you telling me on Twitter and what else, you are paying more than or close to $4 a gallon for gasoline. Certainly something inflationary to watch. All right, get to more on the markets. And well, actually, let's do the global markets very quickly, guys. Hit the Japan's big run, getting bigger. The Nikkei. Surging more than 2%. Got key manufacturing data in China as well. And in the European markets, they're following us. They are higher across the board in Europe with trading just getting underway there. All right. 
We'll get more on the markets in a moment, but right now, let us get to the story that is rocking the city of London. That is the head of Barclays stepping down, pushed out over his ties to Jeffrey Epstein. Jeff Cutmore is in our London newsroom with more. Jeff, kind of a massive breaking news headline just a few hours ago. What do we know? What do we don't know? Real shock for the markets, Brian, as you've pointed out here. And uh, initially, while we're only down about 1.3% now on Barclays share price, initially we were down over 3%. So the CEO, Jess Daly, stepping down today, this after British regulators' investigation into his dealings with the billionaire sex offender Jeffrey Epstein, threw up some questions about how he'd characterized the relationship. Now, the UK lender announcing today it was made aware of the preliminary results of the probe on Friday evening. Barclays saying the board and Staley agreed on his departure, quote, in view of those conclusions, but added that Staley intends to contest these findings. The bank says it has named CS Venkata Krishnan, the current head of global markets, as Staley's replacement. He takes over as chief executive today. Now, there's been a flurry of memos exchanged. Staley said his departure is a personal response to the ongoing probes. This, according to an internal memo from him seen by Reuters, the departing chief added he did not want the probe to be a distraction. Meanwhile, in a separate internal memo, the incoming CEO said he would maintain Staley's strategy, which he called, quote, the right one. That's also according to Reuters. But he did say changes will be made, Brian, to the corporate and investment bank in coming days. So we've yet to find out really what the detail of this investigation will expose. But at this point, the regulators saying it was about the characterization that Staley himself made about his relationship with the convicted sex offender, Jeffrey Epstein. Back to you. Jeff, in, in sort of plain English, I guess, it sounds like they disagree with how Mr. Staley characterized that relationship, that maybe he undersold or under. And I, I know we're speculating a little bit, but certainly when we talk about characterizations of language, it sounds like he may have undersold his relationship in some way that that displeased the board and the investigation. Absolutely. Um, he has always said throughout that he's been transparent and clear with both the regulators and with the board, and the board had given him its full backing. This investigation has been going on for some time, as you can imagine, but it is clear, I think, from what the FCA and the PRA, those are the initials of the regulators, what they've said at this stage uh, is that they won't comment on an ongoing investigation, but clearly there is something about the characterization that Jess Staley made himself that they've reflected to the Barclays board uh, that they are not happy about, and that would seem to be at the root of his departure. But as we understand it, he will contest whatever findings at this stage the PRA and the FCA have made. Back to you. Mm -hmm. Okay, so this is not over yet. And of course, there's somebody that probably knows a lot more, and she is sitting in prison and not talking. That is Ghislaine Maxwell. Jeff Cutmore, thank you very much. Well, Jeff is in London. Now let's go a little farther north to Scotland, because in Glasgow, world leaders are meeting for the massive COP26 climate summit.
Now, there was a lot of big talk at this weekend's G20 meeting in Italy, but will any of that talk translate into climate action? Diana Olick is on the ground in Glasgow and joins us now. Diana. Well, Brian, more than 100 heads of state are now arriving in Glasgow as the COP26 World Leaders Summit begins. Noticeably absent will be China's President Xi and Russia's President Putin. While the show of power is immense, U.N. Secretary General Antonio Guterres said at the opening of the G20, let's be clear, there is a serious risk that Glasgow will not deliver. And he pointed to weak promises from China, Russia and others. Now, the Group of 20's Leaders Summit did agree yesterday to end coal financing by the end of the year and to work to contain global warming to 1.5 degrees Celsius above pre-industrial levels. So far, however, no specific pledges and no end date on the use of coal. Also, no commitments to improve climate finance. And that's what's on the table here in Glasgow. In a press conference last night, President Biden was asked how he could urge refineries to produce more oil due to current shortages and at the same time push to cut emissions on a world stage on the surface seem inconsistent, but it's not at all inconsistent in that no one has anticipated that this year we'd be in a position, or even next year, that we're not going to use any more oil or gas. And President Biden said that was irrational. Now, in bringing several members of his cabinet here, he's including Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen, about 50 members of Congress will also be here to show America's commitment to climate. This after pulling out of the Paris Climate Agreement under the Trump administration and then rejoining this year. Brian. All right. Seems like a lot of people flying a long way to, to talk about the climate summit. All right. Um, Russia and China not there. I mean, that is a massive headline because China is the world's biggest polluter. It is actually adding a number of coal plants. I mean, they're just kind of going their own way. Is there any hope, really, on a macro level for some big global agreement to come out of this summit? Well, that's what the hope is. And while they may come virtually, uh, President Xi may do a virtual statement. President Putin may be there virtually. We're not being told that yet. But they are hoping for at least some more commitments toward the fight, but especially on finance. And that's the key here. An expert told me last week that while global uh, governments will bring billions to the table, it's really financial markets that will bring trillions. And that's why you're going to see so many CEOs here in the coming days and next week all working together to see what kind of finance they can put toward the fight against climate change. Brian? Yeah, there are hundreds of billions, if not trillions of dollars at stake. Uh, this is a big money story as well. Diana, we're glad you're there. Thank you. Big summit. Diana will be there for the entire thing. All right, now let's go back stateside and to your money as we look to kick off November with some solid gains. Futures, they are higher. The market has been strong. And your next guest points out a little... Maybe RBI of its own. History says this could spell more gains for the final two months of the year. Delano Sapporo is the founder and New Street Advisors and a CNBC contributor as well. I love the historical data coming in. Maybe your own RBI, random but interesting that you say, Delano. The way October performed portends, big word, portends good things for the rest of the year or at least the month of November. 
exactly right, Brian. Yes, I definitely wanted to go into the treasure trove for stats because I know you're a big stat person. And so a couple of things that I was looking at is you look at the signs uh, historically when you look at what has happened in the market. So the market has recovered most of what's lost in September and October from the pullback. And historically, on a correct uh, correction recovery in the next month is usually strong in the market, averaging around 3% in gains. And then if you look at, as you mentioned at the top of the show, uh, highs, we've hit a lot of highs in the index indexes specifically the S&P. And if you look back historically from World War II on the S&P 500, every time we hit a high you know, in October, November, pretty, pretty much sets up nicely uh, for a rise around 3.2%. So some of, those are some historical contexts and facts and figures that I think set up November uh, for looking for encouraging signs for investors. And I think that's what, as you mentioned, we're seeing the futures up a little bit. So there's obviously there's nothing guaranteed, but there are some encouraging signs as we look out to November on the first of the month here right now, Brian. Yeah, I like that stuff. I mean, this doesn't mean things are going to be good, but history says they are likely to be. So you just buying the macro market, Delano, or are there specific pockets and stocks of the market that you think will outperform even if the whole market does well? Uh, definitely, definitely right. I think there's a couple of ways to look at it, and we're definitely buying some of that growth and mega cap again. Obviously, we saw Google and Microsoft earlier uh, last week, and their earnings were strong on advertising and cloud. And then, as you mentioned, we saw Apple and Amazon, which the market didn't really respond to positively as far as their earnings, and they had some different headwinds there. And I think there's a little bit of opportunities in those stocks specifically as well as they've kind of come under pressure uh, when you look at Apple and Amazon. I think e-commerce, I do still believe e-commerce makes kind of a comeback as we look toward the holiday season uh, and you look at Amazon's cloud business still growing really, really strong. So I'm definitely buying more of that growth and mega cap tech still um, and also some a little bit of the broad market, but stronger, overweight more on that growth and mega cap, Brian. Yeah, you know, from mega to meta, we've got the graphic up next to you, Delano, and it says meta platforms. And I had to do a double take and remind myself that's Facebook. It's going to take a little getting used to, right? Like when Google, I'm still going to call Google Google. I'm never going to call them Alphabet. I'm going to, Meta Platforms is Facebook. It's just kind of weird. Uh, there, there you look at that. You say it's like survey <laughs> says, and the thing just literally flipped like a family feud. Anything, anything you don't like right now, Delano, in place you're avoiding putting money? There's a couple areas I think that investors want to, you know, kind of just make sure that they're staying in their allocation there. Um, as far as you mentioned Facebook, I do still like Facebook. Um, and that's an area where we're still holding. We haven't been buying as of late. As you know, they're rebranding and kind of shaking up uh, their story a little bit as they move into the metaverse. Uh, I think investors, we are still in a place, position where November near term sets up nicely. But you don't want to kind of go overweight in areas that may be overvalued in the market. Um, and so I'm kind of sticking to a strategy of kind of diversifying. You, you had a cryptocurrency up uh, graphic up earlier, which I think there's still some room there at the end of the quarter for, for a lot of the cryptocurrency um, yeah. coins and tokens to kind of take off. I think so. So areas that you want to stay away from is uh, the kind of the companies that are going to have problems in inflationary pressures. You mentioned at the top of the show, we are seeing rising costs. And if your, co if your company and the business model is really going to be under pressure due to these rising costs, we saw Starbucks earnings where they had a little bit of a struggle. Um, they're going to be raising wages and they also had uh, their top line kind of being compressed as well, yep. lowering as well. Those are businesses that are going to struggle in these times as costs going to continue to, to put pressure on a lot of businesses. I'm going to stay away uh, from those businesses for the near term, Brian. Okay, yeah, drought in Brazil, sending coffee prices soaring. And Delano, I got a lot of friends, they say, what's this metaverse? And I say in a very rough way, I'm not sure, but go read the book Ready Player One by Ernest Kleiner. Watch the movie and kind of get an idea. Delano Sapporo, thank you very much, my friend. Kick it off the week. Have a great day. You too, thank you.
All right, we are just getting started on a busy Monday, and when we come back here on WEX, major online gaming platform Roblox back up and running after an apparent burrito-based problem. Burrito. We'll tell you why. Plus, leaders at this weekend's G20 summit formally signing off on a new global tax agreement. And now the challenge for President Biden is selling that here at home. The Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen has to say about that coming up. Later, we are digging into Tesla, call options, and their role in the stock's recent run-up past a trillion bucks. Chris Murphy of Susquehanna. There was some really interesting stuff you're going to want to hear. A lot to do. Future's up 150. We're back after this. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones... Our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. All right, welcome back. Time now for your big money movers. Three key stock stories of the day. Well, today it's two stocks and a group of stocks, but here we go. Stock number one, Roblox, the popular gaming site, back online yesterday after it crashed on Friday. Now, the company says the outage was not related to, quote, any specific experiences or partnerships, end quote. Now, that odd statement was apparently meant to quash rumors that the crash was caused by a free burrito giveaway at the digital Chipotle on the site. Digital, but real burritos. They're saying, eh, I kind of know that's not what happened. All right, stock number two is Disney. Shanghai Disneyland temporarily suspended entry to the park yesterday to try to cooperate with COVID-19 investigations linked to other Chinese provinces. Guests who were in the park were required to undergo testing at the exit before leaving. And finally, not a stock, but a group of companies around electric vehicles. Barron says, while Tesla has a big lead over legacy automakers and battery technology, they are investing billions to close the gap. Barron's is positive on GM, Ford, and Volkswagen. It's also positive on two of the world's top producers of lithium, Albemarle, which plans to double its U.S. output, and South Korea's LG Chem, which also makes batteries. All right, on deck. First, it was Southwest. Now another airline facing a weekend of major delays and cancellations. We'll tell you who and why ahead. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. 
absolutely, positively FedEx. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange on this Monday morning. Right now, let's get a check on some of this morning's other key headlines outside of the world of money and business, including a big one on COVID for the White House. NBC's Philip Mena is in New York now with that and more. Good morning, Philip. Hey, Brian, good morning. Yeah, White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki has announced she's contracted a breakthrough case of COVID-19 after members of her household tested positive. Psaki has been working from home and quarantining with her family. She tested negative from Wednesday until Sunday and says her symptoms are mild. The press secretary plans to return to work after a 10-day quarantine and a negative rapid test. A man dressed as the Joker and armed with a knife terrorized passengers on a commuter train in Tokyo. Police say at least one person was stabbed before the man started a fire. Riders raced to exit the train, even jumping through windows to escape. The Tokyo Fire Department says at least 17 passengers were injured, including three seriously, but not all of them were stabbed. Police arrested a 24-year-old suspect who is now under investigation for attempted murder. All right, turning to baseball now, the Atlanta Braves won and away from a title. Astros backs against the wall in Game 5 of the World Series. Didn't look good early on for the Strohs. Adam Duvall's grand slam in the first had Atlanta fans thinking championship, but it's a long game, and the Astros' bats would respond. They traded the lead in until Marlon Gonzalez scored two in that blooper to left field. No Halloween party in the ATL. This time, the Astros work them 9-5. to five. Game 6 is in Houston tomorrow night, Brian. So, so close yet so far for the Atlanta Braves. Uh, it's turning to a real classic, this World Series. Yeah, it really certainly is. Let's hope it goes down to a Game 7 as well. Just add a little bit to the drama. Philip, thank you very much. All right, you got it. All right, ahead. Elon Musk taking issue with President Biden once again, this time over his infrastructure plans. Plus, a special programming note tomorrow, an exclusive one-on-one right here on WEX with billionaire investor, legendary entertainment picture founder and Pittsburgh Steelers part owner Thomas Tull. His take on everything from the markets to AI, where he's investing, and some strong words on how to bring American manufacturing back from China. That is a can't-miss interview. And if you have not already, be sure to follow our podcast. If you miss the show any day, don't sweat it. Check us out on Apple, Spotify, or some other podcasting apps. We are back with Dow Futures Up 150. Good Monday morning. We're back after this. Fire up the coffee pot and crank up some Bruce Springsteen because November kicking off looking like the boss. The stocks looking born to run. In D.C., pushed by Democrats to get the president's economic agenda and trillions in new taxpayer spending over the finish line, once again facing another roadblock. And selling the global tax deal. Alon Moy sitting down with Janet Yellen on how she hopes to get nervous Democrats to sign off on the president's big tax plan. It is all happening on this Monday, November 1st, and this is Worldwide Exchange. Oh, welcome or welcome back and good Monday morning, everybody. It's almost exactly 5.30 here on a Monday. Here's how your money and the markets look right now as we kick off the second half of the show. And things are looking pretty doggone good. October, a very solid month for almost every group of stocks. And that looks to continue. I mean, hey, the only thing that's changed is the calendar, right? Dow futures, NASDAQ futures, both up just under one half of 1% or 
about 155 points. Now, one big money mover to watch is Harley Davidson, the hog. Shares jumping after the U.S. and EU agreed to a deal amid the G20 summit this weekend on steel and aluminum tariffs. That's going to benefit companies like Harley Davidson, maybe a Polaris, PII we should throw up as well. Harley Davidson stock is up 7% right now. So any metals users, things that are made of metal, perhaps getting a lift this morning. We are watching the hog. It is, it is running. Hog wild, maybe. All right. To some of this morning's now top stories, the push by House Democrats to vote on President Biden's economic agenda as soon as tomorrow is reportedly now facing yet another hurdle. According to Axios, the House Rules Committee will not convene today to mark up the social spending package, signaling a delay in the process to pass that and the bipartisan infrastructure bill. A leadership aide tells Axios the committee needs additional time to craft language and get final agreements with all parties involved. Yes, please do not rush. This is a massive, massive bill. No reason to rush. Meantime, John Deere and the union representing 10,000 of its workers on strike say they have tentatively reached a new contract. The UAW revealing that under the new plan, members will receive a 10% wage increase in the first year, 5% jump in the third and fourth year of the deal. The UAW says the strike, which began two weeks ago, will continue while workers review the terms of the deal ahead of a vote to approve it. And more headaches for all you flyers this weekend as American Airlines canceling more than 1,400 flights. The airline blaming staff shortages and weather for the moves. Does expect, though, to get through the issues, quote, soon. Cold comfort. Cancellations by American follow those by Southwest recently as the airline industry gears up for a busy holiday travel season. Well, leaders at this weekend's G20 summit formally signing off on that new global tax framework, setting a 15% minimum tax on companies, including a number of big tech's biggest players. While the Biden administration may have gotten world leaders on board, it now may face a more difficult task of actually winning over Congress here in America. Lon Moy spoke with Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen on how she plans to accomplish that, and she joins us now with more from that big interview. Elon. Well, Brian, sealing this deal has been a top priority for Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen. As you mentioned, she's won over the world leaders, including the finance minister of Ireland, the poster child for low rates. And today she's visiting Dublin to show how committed both countries are to this agreement. She told me she's confident she can get Congress on board with the bargain. The president feels, and I certainly agree with him, that um, American corporations should pay their fair share. The minimum tax rate of 15% is um, certainly not, not so high that um, it affects their ability to compete and be, um, be competitive globally. I, you know, it levels the playing field in a way where competition among countries and their firms can take place on the basis of economic fundamentals. Now, there is new hope that here in the U.S., the House could vote potentially tomorrow or at least this week on President Biden's social spending package, which includes the overhaul of the tax code that Yellen has been fighting for. But a key piece of this agreement is much farther off. It requires 100 of the most profitable multinationals, namely big tech, to redistribute how they pay taxes around the world. Now, that's supposed to go into effect in 2023, but it's not even clear that Treasury has the power to strike this deal without congressional approval. When it's ready, um, I continue to do that to uh, um, 
work to make sure that members of Congress understand why this is something that's in the national interest and is necessary to adapt international taxation to a, a very changed world. I also spoke with the finance minister of Ireland, Pascal Donahoe. He told me that the world is counting on America to follow through. Because of the confidence that they've given me in change that I believe will ultimately happen across the world, uh, that in turn is one of the reasons why uh, Ireland wants to be part of this agreement. O'Brien, this deal is a major win for Yellen and for the Biden administration abroad. We'll see whether they can also score a win back home as well. Back over to you. All right, hold on, Elon, because I'm a D.C. dunce here. How does this get done? Is this tax framework part of the BIF, the Biden infrastructure plan? Is it part of the reconciliation bill or is it kind of its own thing? So the setting the global minimum tax rate at 15 percent is part of this reconciliation bill, what they're now calling sort of the build back better agenda um, that the House has yet to vote on. Uh, the Senate would still need to vote on it as well, but they can do this with only Democratic support. One of the challenges, though, is that the second part of this agreement, which hasn't been fully fleshed out yet, and that's the part that really affects those big tech companies and sort of how they pay taxes and to whom, that piece of the puzzle still has not yet been fully negotiated, but would need to, at this point, be passed with both Democratic and Republican support. She may even need Republicans to get on board to help her sign that agreement. So so there's still a lot of negotiation and goodwill that will need to be um, earned on Capitol Hill for the Treasury Secretary and for the Biden administration. The fascinating stuff and a big interview there. And I love throwing Ireland into the mix as well, Alon. Appreciate it. We'll see you all day long here on CNBC. Thank you. All right. Coming up, what Tesla's options activity may be able to tell you about the entire stock market. Susquehanna's Chris Murphy is here. But as we had to break, some of the other top stories happening now, staying with Tesla, CEO Elon Musk escalating his battle with Biden. Musk calling the president, quote, a puppet for the United Auto Workers Union while replying to a tweet on the president's infrastructure package and a provision giving extra money for EVs assembled by unionized workers. Southwest Airlines says it is conducting an internal investigation after one of its pots allegedly used an anti-Biden phrase. Move Falls are reporting the incident involving the pilot using the phrase during his greetings to a passengers on a flight last week. And Coca-Cola reportedly buying full control of body armor, according to the Wall Street Journal. A company which already owned about 30% of the sports drink will pay $5.5 billion for the remaining stake, making body armor's founders incredibly wealthy. Congratulations to all of them and their investors. Worldwide Exchange is back in a moment. All right, welcome back. Let's talk everybody's favorite stock. Tesla continues to gain steam after breaking above a trillion dollars in valuation. Shares up nearly 50% in just a month. And behind that movement, its impact on the broader market rally is a lot of options activity. But it may not be the only factor driving the stock up. Joining us now is Chris Murphy, co-head of Derivative Strategy at Susquehanna. Love his notes. Always a must-read, sort of tying together the options market and the rest of the uh, of the action. And Chris, we have talked many times about Tesla's role in the macro market, how it's so big, there's so many shares, so much options activity, that it matters even if you don't own Tesla stock or could care less about the company. What are you seeing with Tesla right now that is so interesting? Good morning, Brian. There's so many things uh, that are so interesting going on in Tesla. 
right now. Um, you know, it was up 22, over 22% last week. Uh, we had humongous options volumes that traded. Um, and that was all reported, you know, great, made for some great headlines, how many options are trading compared to the broader market, things like that. I do think one thing that was somewhat under uh, overlooked yeah, uh, last week was comparing that options volume on a daily basis to how much open interest changed the next day. So basically what that's telling you is let's look at, for example, on last Monday, uh, almost 2.5 million uh, calls traded, um, uh, which is a huge number of uh, largest since the stock split last year. But the next day, open interest only changes by 120,000. So that's about 5%. So basically what that's telling you is despite all that options, uh, call volume that's trading, the next day, uh, only about 5% of that volume carries over to uh, new positions. So, you know, around 95% of that options trading on a daily basis is both opened and closed, whether it's bought and then sold or sold and then bought. But these are very, very short term trades. So, you know, that's going to not have quite as much of an impact yeah. as, you know, consistent buying that builds up every single day. So it sounds like there's and listen, you know, the, the, the Teslarians out there, they'll tell you that in 20 years, it'll be the only car company or whatever they're going to say. Sounds like there's also a lot of short timers hanging around. Yes. I mean, so, you know, momentum based trading has been a very effective strategy for the live basically since the COVID low. So, you know, there's nothing wrong with momentum based trading, but uh, Tesla is the poster child for that. I mean, when you have a stock that's up 22 percent over the course of, of a week. Um, and you're looking for a place to find a momentum based trading. Uh, that's where it is. Uh, you're going to look at, uh, for example, last Thursday, you know, those uh, weekly eleven hundred calls. That's right around where the stock was trading. One hundred fifty two thousand contracts traded uh, net three hundred or closing. So no new position. So all, basically all the trading in that line, the most active line that day uh, was both open and closed, possibly many times over uh, the course of the day. So. Uh, that's not necessarily driving the stock as much as people think when you're both buying and selling yeah. or selling and buying in the same day, sometimes in the same hour. All right. Great stuff on Tesla's pivot now and talk healthcare, more specifically biotech. Saw one of your notes. You're starting to see some some bullish activity there. Where specifically and what is that telling you? Yeah. So we're looking a lot of times at the ETFs, uh, XBI is the ETF. And over the course of the last two weeks or so, we just kept seeing some consistent uh, bullish flow in the options, whether it was selling puts to buy a call spread or buying calls or whatever the case may be. Now, if you were to look at the XBI compared to most other sectors in the broader market, it's a it's a major uh, underperformer. So we're seeing a lot of investors via the options uh, trying to set up attractive risk reward strategies for the biotech sector broadly to catch up. Now, obviously, trading specific biotech stocks that are very catalyst driven can be really difficult to pick the right ones. But if you're able to look at an uh, ETF like the XBI and say, OK, this sector has majorly underperformed uh, and one of the potential catalysts may have been going into Biden's uh, what he was mentioning last week in, in his speeches and, and his program. Um, and the fact that there was not a lot of uh, negative news uh, on the healthcare sector it was kind of, you know, glanced over a little bit. Uh, maybe that finally allows that space to catch up a little bit. So that's been a clear thing we've been noticing over the last two weeks. Lack of bad news is the new actual good news. Apparently, we're going to be watching biotech as well. All that crazy Tesla action 
Chris Murphy of Susquehanna. Always appreciate your insight and views. Have an awesome day. Thanks, Chris. Thank you. All right, on deck, your morning RBI lays out which American states have the biggest quitters. And a programming note, be sure to check out the new CNBC online doc, How the Apes of AMC Cracked Wall Street. Melissa Lee digs into retail investors, piling into the movie theater's chain, including her conversation with one of the more high-profile traders rallying around the company, Trey Collins. I think what attracts people to AMC is the unity behind the trade, right? It brought people together to appreciate that you can come together and set aside your differences for something that you believe in. And in this case, it's fighting against a corrupt market, uh, a market that wasn't built to be fair for every single party involved. Uh, I think that's what AMC stands for, you know, speaking out and, and uh, making noise because any great change that comes in the world over the last decades and hundreds of years didn't come quietly. It came with noise, it came with blood. All right, welcome back. World leaders gathering in Scotland this morning and really all the next two weeks. Following the G20 sit-downs in Italy over the weekend, President Biden facing the difficult task of convincing allies and skeptics alike at the COP26 summit that the U.S. is serious about tackling climate change. Juliana Tatabam joining us now from Glasgow with more on this side of the story. Juliana. Brian, good morning. So we here we are six years on from that uh, that Paris agreement and all eyes are on Glasgow. About 25,000 delegates are due to descend on Glasgow over the next two weeks. World leaders from over 120 countries. And there is a lot on the table, a lot at stake here. Boris Johnson, the UK prime minister, who is, of course, hosting this event from a UK um, perspective, saying that if we don't make, get a deal here, we don't make progress here, then all bets are off. Really um, trying to emphasize what is at stake here. And one of the big questions that is hanging over this summit is how much progress can actually be made given that President Xi Jinping of China is not attending in person. China is the number one emitter in the world right now, and many have been disappointed with Beijing's efforts to date. So um, President Xi's absence is certainly um, being talked about as a, a key focal point and to what extent that could hinder efforts. One other feature, Brian, of the event this year that differs from other summits is the presence of corporates. There's a vast number of uh, corporate leaders here, and it really showcases how important not only public funding is for the fight against climate change, but also private funding. And one of the other big questions is how uh, governments and world leaders can create an environment to unlock private funds. Because at the end of the day, to fight climate change, the prevailing view is that we're going to need both both public and private market support. So a lot on the table, Brian. Expectations fairly low coming into this event, but world leaders certainly trying to keep the pressure on each other to deliver. Yeah, a lot of world leaders cared enough to fly their private jets all the way to Glasgow, Scotland, Juliana. But let's be clear, they're there for another reason, and that is green. And I don't mean the green economy. I mean money, right? There is hundreds of billions or trillions of dollars in government contracts, deals, whatever, at stake. This is maybe the biggest money event in the world as well. 
Brian, you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, I think when it comes to climate change, the finance piece, climate finance, is absolutely essential. And coming into the event, world leaders had already agreed they would funnel $100 billion a year from richer countries to poorer ones to help the fight against climate change. So far, the rich countries have not delivered. So another part of this conference is going to be focused on how to um, incentivize those wealthy countries to actually deliver on the promises they already made before we talk about stepping up. And there is concern around getting um, developing countries to commit to more when they haven't actually seen the promises that have been made to them come good. And uh, the White House has already um, been speaking to this uh, earlier today, saying we don't expect a full answer on reaching that $100 billion target in Glasgow, but we believe there are creative ways to hit it. So already managing expectations yeah. around just how much could actually come from this summit, Brian. Well, we're going to find out. We've got a long way to go. Juliana Tatelbaum in Glasgow. Thank you. Time now for your morning RBI. Today we're talking about the American worker, or maybe the lack thereof, because we know that millions have vanished from the workforce or quit their jobs. It has generated all kinds of political finger-wagging, the loss in the politicization of all this, the fact that not all job quits are created equally, not even close. Because a lot of people quit one job not to walk away from work entirely, but to find a better job somewhere else. But where exactly is all this happening? Well, thanks to Datatrek research for crunching the numbers, we now know the states with the most and fewest rate of people quitting their jobs. So let's do it the WEX way, counting you down five to one. Here are the states with the highest rate of people quitting their jobs. Iowa, Alaska, Idaho, Georgia, and Kentucky. Kentucky the highest at four and a half percent. Now, these states mostly imply rates with a potentially strong job market, because in those states, people may feel comfortable enough to quit their job because they know they can find another job, likely with higher pay. So on the flip side, where in America are the lowest quit rates, where workers may not feel as confident? Once again, the Northeast and California rearing up their collective heads. The five lowest quit rates, California, Washington, New York, Connecticut, Pennsylvania, New Jersey kind of close on that list as well. Now, to be clear, there are always a number of reasons why people quit, but a strong job market is a big one of them. You can see Midwest and South, mostly good right now. Northeast, Washington and California, maybe bad right now. But really, what's new to that? Random, but interesting. All right, let's go now to welcome in one of our favorite guests from a city and a state with a very strong job market and probably a strong consumer Victoria Fernandez is chief market strategist at Crossmark Global Investments in Houston, Texas, and joins us now. And uh, Victoria, you've got uh, you've been talking about the consumer for a long time now. You think there's a lot of people drinking thirty dollars glasses of wine at the Post Oak Club or filling up the shops at the Galleria? No, I think that's exactly what's happening, Brian. I mean, I think there's this under. Um People are underestimating the consumer and what that's going to look like going into the next couple quarters. There's so much talk right now about stagflation, um, that we're not going to have the growth that people are anticipating, but inflation is going to rise. We're just not falling into that camp right now. We think that with the savings rate, even though it's not in the 30 percent like we saw during um, the pandemic, but it's still elevated from historical standards. Household balance sheets are strong. There's pent up demand. We still don't have all the services back. So I think that's going 
going to give us an extra boost and that consumer is going to continue to drive this economy going forward. I think that's why you're seeing some of the data you just quoted in your RBI about the quits uh, rate happening, especially on the lower end of the pay scale as those wages are continuing to climb and that's going to support the consumer. Yeah, I mean, they're quitting and hopefully finding new jobs that pay more, literally just switching one employer to another, maybe throwing another 10 grand a year in their pocket, money that they can spend. So where are they spending it? If you had to go from a stocks perspective, who do you think are some of the winners here, Victoria? Yeah, so we actually are making a shift in our portfolio, Brian, from some of those secular growth names that we've liked for the last 18 months. We're not getting rid of those names. We're trimming them. But we're going into some of those more consumer-facing names, especially in this holiday season. We're looking at Target. We're looking at Lululemon, um, a name even like CVS, as people are out there doing holiday shopping, running errands more, getting more pharmacy-type items. So I think looking at companies that are more consumer facing as a positive. And you know, we've liked uh, MasterCard and Visa for a while. We actually just added to our MasterCard position um, along with our Capital One Financial. So even though we've seen the yield curve flatten a little bit with the outlook that we have on the consumer, we think those are all going to be strong names for the next couple quarters. Wow, we love it. Visa, CVS, kind of a new name there as well. So what are you kind of moving around? If you're adding those, are you trimming anywhere? We are trimming, and, it, and that's the key word. We're trimming. We're not selling out of names completely. So where have we trimmed? Some of those secular growth names, Microsoft, Amazon. I mean, we're not getting rid of them, like I said, and they had good earnings, and so we're able to trim those names. An interesting one we've trimmed is actually Hasbro as well. It's been up about 7.5% in the last month, and we know the supply chain issues that are happening for a lot of these companies. Um, so we took advantage of that and trimmed a little bit of that name as well. The Grinch trade there ahead of Christmas, selling off or, at least, or excuse me, trimming a toy maker here. All right, Victoria, on a Mac, we love we love the trimming. We love the uh, specific ideas from a macro perspective. You got the Federal Reserve this week. Do you expect any market moving headlines? Dare I say the taper anything from the Fed this week? Yeah, I don't think it'll be too market moving. Most of that's probably already priced in. Expectations are that they're going to announce the taper. I think the, the big news will be whether taper actually starts this month in November or whether that goes to next month in, in December. Either way, I know we're, it's going to start probably before the end of the year, which means people are really looking at the timing for rate hikes. Futures are saying that could happen in the summer. I'm a little iffy on that. I think we're looking more fourth quarter of next year before we see that. When we get closer to that timeline, that's when I think we'll see more of the market moving. Probably not this week. Victoria Fernandez of Crossmark down there in Houston, Texas. Victoria, we always appreciate you getting up early for us. And we mean that. Thank you very much. Thank you. Go Astros. All right. We... Go, yeah, big game tomorrow night. Go Astros. It's on the line. Victoria, thank you very much. All right. And folks, we appreciate you getting up early, or if you're not getting up early and listening to the podcast, maybe at like 8 o'clock tonight. We also Thanks thank so much, you guys. as well. Join us tomorrow at Big Exclusive with Thomas Tull, billionaire co-owner of the Pittsburgh Steelers. That does it for us here on WEX today. We'll see you tomorrow. Squawk in the gang. Picking it up next with Dow Futures up a buck fifty. Take care. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only 
on CNBC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. 